and I think that's the other thing too with Zooks is yes, they were working on a robo taxi concept, right? They never got there. Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Senior Transportation Reporter with TechCrunch. I'm Damon Laverance, uh, uh, Digital Nomad. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director for Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, um, founder of the No Parking Podcast and producer of Apex, the secret race across America. I'm also heavily boundaried due to um, my strong ethics. <laughs> oh, that's the that, ethics that, that, are what bounds you. Gotcha. That's good to know. That's good to know. Why does the most legitimate journalist on the show, Kirsten, not have a real mic on this episode? I haven't had a real mic on this episode for a long time, say. but it's in, it's in the mail. Nice. Before yeah, we jump uh, into the body of our conversation, guys, let me dominate for a moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Still, what else is new? Okay, I was watching, uh, and I hate to get political, but I love it. I was there were some people on TV um, just saying they don't want to wear masks. Uh, There's some fun mask anti-mask videos, and then somebody said, "Well, but do you wear a seatbelt?" And they're like, "That's different." Then it occurred to me that mask that. Uh, Tommy Lauren, you know, this this uh, right wing Twitter person, she she has this fun tweet. She's like, um, she says, uh, either masks work or they don't. If you require them because they stop the spread, then just reopen everything. And if masks don't work, then the mandates are BS. Please pick a narrative. So I tweeted, well, either seatbelts work or they don't. And if you require them because they stop crash fatalities, we shouldn't have speed limits. And if belts don't work, then speed limits are BS. So it's fascinating to me that there that these arguments are coming up because the logic of wearing a seatbelt is weaker than the logic for wearing a mask. A seatbelt only really saves your own life, whereas a mask can save the lives of others. So there's like a network effect to mask wearing. There isn't a network effect to wearing a seatbelt. Um, and so the way people think about safety is fundamentally flawed in general because if there are 65 percent of people. In America, we're against seatbelts being mandated in 1984. And today, well, we just even even really crazy people believe that seatbelts make sense. So, Alex, I, you, I think you put your your finger on the problem, right? Which is that seatbelts protect you. And so it make it's very easy for you to understand exactly. why you should be clicking that seatbelt. I think there's an interesting corollary here. You know, you and I have been talking. Uh, I sort of picked up your crusade for more, um, you know, infrared sensor based uh, uh, sort of ADAS features on, on, on cars. Um, and in, in large part, I think one of the main reasons I want to see more of that is because, um, you know, pedestrian and, uh, and cyclist deaths are vulnerable road user deaths as a, as a whole, um, have, have actually been going up. And what's interesting to me, and, and I think from talking to people at some of the companies who, who develop this technology, um, it seems like one of the challenges is that it's hard. To, it's hard. It's easy to sell someone on a system that's going to save their life. It's much harder to sell someone on the idea that this system is worth spending a thousand dollars or whatever it is more for, because it will prevent you from accidentally killing someone else. Essentially, 
I, I think it's I think it's paying for essentially like the network effect of it too to a certain extent, right? Because you have to have so many people do you know using that same technology um, in mass as well, and right. this gets back to the mass situation, right? Right. And if you have if you have a couple of people who are who are not participating, then all of a sudden you're inconveniencing yourself for nothing. I will note one thing though. There is, if you, if everyone in a vehicle together wears a seatbelt, if one person doesn't, then that person could kill everyone. Right. No, no. They right. So there is a right. network effect to seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And yeah. And of course, uh, I mean, heaven forbid someone have a crash in an area with pedestrians on the side of the road, <laughs> someone flying out the window of a car. It's not good. It's suboptimal. Right. Um, no. Yeah. This notion of just collective, like, uh, 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 safety uh, seems really lost on people. Right. But it's always been that way. And I think that's why the, the conversation around seatbelts is, is actually really, really relevant right now is like, I remember talking to my dad who you guys, uh, if you guys recall, was a driving instructor for 46 years and he was around when seatbelts were mandated and he was, and you know, he was actually instrumental in some of the state legislation and eventually federal legislation around it. And he was like the backlash behind it was always shocking to him. Um, and, and, and he, and he saw it, you know, and, and there's still whatever it is. I remember, I, I remember seeing stats a couple of years ago. There's still like something like 5% of the U S or 7% of the U S still doesn't, doesn't wear it and still doesn't believe it's safe. Right. Because, you know, there was always the, um, one of my favorites was like, if you don't, if you, if you're, if you're wearing a seatbelt, you'll be stuck inside the car. But if you're not wearing a seatbelt, you'll be thrown <laughs> outside the car <laughs> and that's somehow safer. It's also, like, how I'm, do you, how do you, how could you possibly open the door and jump out of the vehicle as it's going off a cliff. And you right. right. Well, there was exactly. also yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, who was it? Like those, those, the, the truck stops sell the device with like the flashlight and the knife built in. So you could cut the belt at night to get out of the car. Well, and it's also got the uh, window smash. Yeah, the window the smash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. A- Alex, you said earlier on that uh, you have to be a little, um, judicious with your comments um well, before we so, get to the judicious part did you know in the history of safety devices that the, did not catch on with the public in france in 1986 or 87 i was with my my parents in a renault 25 the state of the art french luxury sedan it's really some google it it's some in a c it, a citroen cx it is not and it um it had a an alarm that went off if you drove over 120 kilometers an hour, which was the speed limit in France at the time. Right. And uh, my father took the car right back to the rental station and said, give me something else. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We've been seeing a lot of, a lot more. I've been seeing a lot more talk like on Twitter um, about, about speed limiters um, as a, as a yeah. safety precaution. And I, I think it's a really interesting debate. Maybe we should do an episode on it sometime. Um, what I find fascinating is that in the U.S. we did briefly have a seatbelt interlock mandate where you mm-hmm. could not drive your car. And and if you've ever been in one of those vehicles, I think my grandma had a, a Honda Civic from those like two or three model years that that had that, and it was a huge pain. It was the way it was with the technology at the time. It it was very, you know, you had this thing where it would roll over, and and it was very cumbersome. I I'm surprised. I mean, if, if with the technology we have today, we can make seat seat, lock, seat belt interlocks so much easier. I can't imagine that that would be less popular, uh, or even much less effective as a safety measure than than speed. Um, but maybe we should again keep that for another another episode because we have a lot a lot to discuss today. We had a bunch of news last week, um, and by the time that episode came out, there were two new. 
big stories that we missed um, that sort of have a lot of bearing on the the what what do you call it the wider autonosphere yeah sort of the the hunger games or the you know alex <laughs> has been alex has been talking about uh about consolidation in the space for a long time as have we all i guess to some extent on the show alex yeah. has been predicting it um let's do waymo first let's just yeah so the news kirsten we turn to our respectable respected authoritative journalist to, uh, to give us the give us the facts here and and so we can Put our opinion all over it. Okay. Well, you know, I really can't stand the word exclusive because usually when someone says something's exclusive, then I raise an eyebrow and a red flag. Uh-huh. Mm. And why? And just explain explain why. What's wrong with exclusives? Well, because um, well, not, nothing wrong with exclusives, but the word exclusive, right? Yeah, the word exclusive, yeah. like an exclusive partnership and an exclusive. Because usually it doesn't mean exactly that, and and in this case, yeah, it's same same situation. So Waymo and Volvo have an exclusive partnership to um, around L four level four autonomy. But when you dig into it, basically, um, Volvo and Uber still have their supplier deal relationship. Um, that requires Uber and Volvo, even though. Uber is receiving vehicles from Volvo. These are specific vehicles meant for the self-driving stack. So there is some collaboration on some development and some shared information happening. And that is not going to end as far as Volvo and Uber are concerned. The Waymo deal is about moving forward. And they didn't say this explicitly, but I believe what this is going to come down to is that a licensing deal and that it would go extend to Volvo and all of its other brands, Lincoln Company and Polestar. That could mean Volvo using it in an electric vehicle platform for some sort of ride hailing service. And it's very vague as to what that might mean. I can't imagine why. Let's read the the copy um, from, and this, Kirsten quotes it in her in her story on this. Um, the company's quote will first move together to integrate the Waymo driver into an all new mobility focused electric vehicle platform for ride hailing services. And as you point out, the phrase "first work together" suggests more is coming. Um, we know it's level four, um, and that's kind of that's that's really it at this point, right? Right. So this could mean a, uh, this could mean a bunch of things. Um, like I said, I I think it's closer to the uh, Waymo Fiat Chrysler arrangement because don't forget Fiat also has licensed or has said that they are working on licensing Waymo's technology for passenger vehicles. It hasn't happened yet. But that supplier deal extends to a licensing deal as well. Kirsten, is the is the the Volvo exclusivity of Volvo to Waymo, but Waymo obviously can still go to, to other other OEMs, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and so I think this exclusivity is really about working on the uh, sh- and sharing information, obviously, which has to happen on any sort of collab 
um, on putting L4 into an electric vehicle platform, which would obviously be a, a Volvo vehicle, probably Polestar. Does that mean, and then it's for ride hailing. So who's the operator? Um, who's share, what information is being shared and how much co-development is happening? I mean, that's, that's what's not clear. Is FDA's agreement with Waymo also exclusive? It, it can't be fully exclusive, right? Because FCA has the a deal with, with Aurora on commercial vehicles. Right. It, see, I think that it's, it's more about the software stack than anything else. So it's not like, it's not saying that Volvo can never work with anyone ever again in terms of supplying a vehicle, as far as I know. But I think it does limit Volvo in terms of using any other uh, software stack for any of its own purposes. Yeah, which is interesting. And and we're at a point now in this in this world. And by the way, let's take a moment to appreciate that like everybody who five, 10 years ago, anytime in the last 10 years or so has said that like, you know, there's a battle between, you know, Silicon Valley and Detroit for the future of cars. Like we're wrong, obviously like imagine collaboration. That. Yeah. So, so, but, but we've reached a point where, where this all this ecosystem is sort of congealing to a point where when a deal like this is announced, we may not know a ton about that, the specifics of that deal, but we can definitely see how it, how it sort of moves the other pieces of this, of this ecosystem. And like one thing right off the top of my head was, was like, well, you know, there was the, um, v- Volvo had been working with, it had Zenuity, which was a, a, a joint venture with Vianeer, which is a spinoff from Autoleave or, or part of Autoleave. Anyway, um, but, but that joint venture, there was some news about that a few months back um, where essentially the ADAS part of that collaboration was sort of went back to Vianeer and the level four plus sort of part went back to Volvo. Now what, what that looks like with the benefit of this, of knowing about this deal is that sort of Zenuity was wound down. They didn't announce it that way. They weren't saying we're winding this down, but that seems like now what, what happened. Yeah. Well, well, part of it went to ADAS, right? So like they're still continuing the development with that, correct? No, because the ADAS work went back to Vianeer, which is a supplier. Right. Okay, yeah. So, so essentially, it was like they put they put ADAS and Autonomy together, and we're like, well, this, you know, we'll we'll just JV this, and and now after, I don't know how long Zenuity was around. I don't know when it was announced. Not that uh, long, though. Yeah, and and I think it's just it's an interesting. I think especially maybe for the journalists out there, like when you see news, sometimes you kind of have to be like, is this you know, I mean, obviously that's your job, right? One of my but favorite like- pieces of news from last week or was uh, uh, Colin Barndon from Semicast Research wrote his thing on EE Times uh, deconstructing the Mercedes Daimler, uh, sorry, the Daimler um, NVIDIA, NVIDIA announcement. And his is one of his lines was, what does autonomous assisted mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to the, I haven't heard anything uh, interesting. I haven't heard any clarification since then because um, – Volmo and Amazooks have owned the news cycle since. Right. Yeah. Um, the one other, the one other sort of piece outside of this deal itself that, that seems worth noting um, is that, is that uh, Polestar and Volvo, well, definitely Polestar, I think Volvo as well has signed on to use um, the Android 
Android infotainment system. I, I don't remember what the what exactly well, they're it's, it's Android OS. It's Android yeah, okay. OS. It's it's not Android. It's not Android Auto. Auto. That's middleware. That just is a layer. This is an operating system um, that would control like your climate, your infotainment system, all of that. Yeah, everything infotainment related. So, so what that suggests is that um, between this AV focused deal um, and that infotainment deal, there's definitely seems to be a strategic alignment between Geely, which is Volvo and Polestar's parent company, and Google. Right? Google between, yeah. Yeah, between Waymo and and Android. Well, I still, still see uh, some interesting things kind of shaping out, and I understand that like Waymo is a separate company under Alphabet, and you know Google and what it's doing is separate. Um, but there seems to be this interplay, and it, what seems to be happening is basically automakers on traditional front in terms of infotainment system, it's like either open source or closed loop systems. Um, So like an Apple versus Google type of setup. And then I'm wondering if that's going to then evolve, uh, particularly around Google slash Waymo, where automakers that have taken like more of a open source sort of viewpoint are going to fold in all the uh, Google for its operating systems and Waymo then also ends up becoming part of that. Like how we're kind of seeing it happen with Volvo. Like I wonder if we're going to see, cause there Volvo is not the only company that's using Google's OS. Many automakers actually are now. Who, who else has signed on for sure? Do you know? I think even GM. Um, let me. Yeah. GM and GM announced a partnership. Honda. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I knew. I just knew that because I, I got to play around with it when when Polestar brought the the Polestar two to the U.S. to kind of show people. And um, but anyway, the one the one point I wanted to make about a potential Google um, Geely alignment is that I I think it's really interesting because it, it makes me wonder. So this ri- electric ride hailing thing that the deal is about. One thing the deal also doesn't say is where that's going to be located. Right? Mm-hmm. right. Where is that service going to launch? Maybe it's China, and maybe maybe the deal here is that because right, so Google has this, you know, or Alphabet, I guess, has a, has had a very challenging relationship with China because of its own involvement with U.S. national security related issues, and and um, you know, I think being perceived by the Chinese central government as as being a national security threat is sort of caught between uh, those things, and and um, like Google Maps isn't really in China, and and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I wonder if, you know, Gili is a really interesting potential partner for Google uh, in the Chinese auto ecosystem because they're not, you know, they didn't come out of the People's Liberation Army. They're not created by like the Shanghai Communist Party, like a lot of, you know, or local Communist Party. Um, uh, Li Shufu is, was, is a legitimate independent entrepreneur. I think he may be a member of the Communist Party at this point, but he's not, it's, you know, this is not one of these state-owned enterprise. It's a very independent company. Um, and there aren't a lot of those in the Chinese ecosystem, especially ones that are that are successful. And and also Geely has all these relationships with, with Daimler and 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 all these other you know international presence. So I think that's a really interesting p- potential relationship. And I don't know, like obviously I'm speculating that, that there's more to it than we know so far. Two two data points does not guarantee anything. Speculate on this, my friends. 
not long ago, there was this Volvo Luminar announcement. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Now here comes uh, now here comes uh, this uh, Waymo Volvo announcement. What happens to Luminar? Where, what's Luminar's? The Luminar thing is for level three, um, or, or, or for let's let's call it less than level four. Um, so so I think is that, that the new official th- uh, designation from Pave? Less than four. <laughs> No, we're so any former driver assistance level four and up. It's clear that the way most the deal. And I think below that Volvo can still do whatever they want. Right. And so then the question is like, who would be the operator? I'm assuming that it would be maybe Lincoln company and, or, um, I mean, I just don't see Volvo being the operator. No, no, I, no. I think Lincoln co is, 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 is the right, um, is the right guess there, but, they really don't have any vehicles at this point that have ever shown any kind of capability for ride hailing either. So Can I say, if there was one OEM brand that could go to market with their brand as is for safety with ride hail, it's Volvo. How's the someone of Volvo? Right. Yeah. Right. But I'm just wondering if the service, because Lincoln Mo is, was going to be like the subscription based thing. Right. Um, so why wouldn't it be, it, it, it might well be. I mean, I you know, I'm a little bit skeptical about some of the stuff that that, that Lincoln Company has said. I think you know, having been there and talked to them a bit and, and visit one of their factories and whatever, it seems kind of just like it's a, a Chinese brand, and that a lot of this talk about new business models in U.S. and Europe and all this sort of stuff seems kind of to be more to, about brand positioning than than actual right. concrete plans. That's my point. They're they're an established, maybe not a well-known brand, but they exist and they exist in China. So it'd be the perfect shell to put put then vehicles, an electric vehicle platform that is Volvo slash Waymo under that and deliver it into China for a ride hailing network. And because Lincoln Company isn't really doing anything right now, as far as I know. Um, I think they have some subscription kind of stuff, but it's basically a lease. I don't know. Sure. So it's, it's again, it's, it, it's an opening in an existing company that is essentially like, it's not like we're writing, I'm not writing about Lincoln company and how they're like freaking owning the world every day. I haven't written about them in year. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think, I think my question is whether or not any of their, their vehicles really make sense as, as a ride hailing vehicle especially an autonomous right i mean well, I, think, couldn't it be- I think they'll, they'll probably use the same platform that's right that's un- right that's under most of their electric vehicles which is sort of an adaption of the, the volvo cma if I we think. spend any more time on lincoln co they should just send us a check for giving them this much exposure what else you got just to close the loop on this so china china <laughs> speculation is interesting because one thing that we have talked about is that there are um chinese backed uh ride robo taxi type companies um that have a presence in the US and and China and that the the big the big benefit for them is that there is no US counterpart that has potentially could be a rival to them in China at all. Mm. We talked to Jewel Lee recently um one of our recent episodes from Auto X. Correct. One of the companies you're referring to, yeah. And so this is again wild speculation like pushing first of all it's like the assumption that this partnership is going anywhere. We all know terms like partnership can 
mean, mean nothing. A wide array of things. Right. But let's just say it is actually pretty well far along and there is a real product that's going to come out of it. If Waymo under Lincoln Company or something like that were able to then put a dip a toe into China, that would be a big first for any US company because except for Newtonomy, I'm trying to think of any other, which is now Aptive, that has any kind of presence in both, that's a US company that has a big presence anywhere in Asia. Yeah. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks. Um, let's move into the other big meaty you know, story this week, which was dun, 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 Amazooks. Or Amazon. Amazon. I like, I think Amazooks is the it's, only it's answer here. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I had in my newsletter. So thankfully. Good. It's, can- it's canon now. Yeah. Let's go back in time. We can't really talk about our party because it was an off-record party that our anti-CES party. But there were some Zooks people there, and we've said we've said on the show that Jesse Levinson was there and played piano. And, and um, he's a good dude. He's a great pianist. He's awesome. Love love Jesse. So and very tolerant of of um, drunk people sitting next to him and chatting him up. So I give him props for that. But I. Could anyone have predicted sitting there at that party, you know, mixing it up, that we would get to Amazon buying Zooks? Yes. You, yes. Yes. you called it, you called it right? Yeah, no, it was always an acquisition target to my mind. Right? Well, yeah, like, it was always an acquisition target, but did you? And I'm not sure if Amazon was ever like in like the, uh, was always in the top three to my mind. Um, just because it didn't seem to clearly fit into any other automakers existing programs, right? Like that was the larger idea for me was the fact that, you know, based on how ambitious they were being, they only had a ton of IP, right? Only had, but they have a ton of IP that's, that's really intriguing, but they never got to the manufacturing side of things. They never got to the, you know, really, I mean, we haven't really seen a honest to God prototype yet. Right. Um, so, um, yes, well, actually we have seen the prototype because well, somebody we've suggested, seen, we've seen the- no, no, so, somebody, I think from Zooks said, dear Cruz, thanks for ripping off our design. <laughs> right. Which is basically like saying I designed a toaster in 1950 and everybody's ripped off my design since then. Right. Like there's no, I mean, there is absolutely 
no really interesting thing going on when it comes to designing a bus, which is what we're talking about. It's a bus. It just happens to have a different platform and underlying technology, right? Um, but anyway, so that's my take is that it was always, and I'd also like to point out that uh, your, uh, your, your friend and mine, Alex, uh, Alan Hall, uh, pinged me and said, there's no way it's going to be less than a billion dollars, right? And I said, I think it'll be right around. My guess is 900 billion. And I was off by based on the reporting about 300 million, which is substantially different than their what, Kristen, they, re, uh, they were last valuation was 3.1, 3.2? 3.2. Yeah. 3.2 valuation. And that was in 2000, that was in 2018. Right. High, like peak, so, peak. Yeah. What is your take? And I'm, I'm asking all three of you. Uh, yesterday, uh, the, uh, the information put out a story about the two top guys in perception leaving to go to Waymo. Mm -hmm. What's your read on, on, on that? Well, the only thing that, so what I thought was interesting is that they're like apparently incredibly valuable to Zooks. Right. And, and they left, but then Waymo just said they're on there. Those two people have confirmed that they're part of their team. And when I was thinking about that, I'm like, huh, like they're not like leading a team. They're just like part of a team. Like, what are they doing? It just mm. seemed like a weird, not one-to-one. -one. So right. I, I was just trying to figure out like if, if a really like two superstars at a company move over um, to another competitor, do you expect them to be like just part of a larger team or do you expect them to be in leadership or maybe, maybe they learn their lesson after the Lewandowski situation where maybe we don't need to have really high profile people put into high profile positions. Right. Maybe. I, oh. I, I just just I wanted to just answer the the previous question, like why I didn't see Amazon coming on this one at all. And it was it was a couple of things. But one was was Amazon invested in Aurora. I think this is yet another string of Aurora's partners. And, and I say this with no like I, I personally have a lot of confidence in, in Aurora as a company. I think they've got a lot of good things going for them. But they do there is this pattern of they announce a partnership with with someone. And again, with the caveat that not all partnerships are equal, right? But that that then their partners are at least sort of seen to be maybe hedging those bets for whatever reason, right? And and we don't know what that reason is. Um, but but I just sort of assumed Aurora seemed like a good fit for for Amazon to me because they're less uh, sort of interested in being in, involved more deeply in that they're they're kind of more take, approaching this as a supplier. And I feel like Amazon has so many potential uses for this technology um, that and and also a lot of in house expertise in related areas and warehouse robotics and th all things, things like that, um, that, that relationship seems to make sense for me. So I'm curious what the future of that relationship is. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and then of course there's the big one, which is, you know, kind of what all the, the post deal uh, announcement sort of chatter has been about, which is like, well, wait a second. Like Zooks is, is, is hundred percent a robo taxi company. Um, and Amazon, has never made any, you know, intention of, and so, so is Amazon going to going to you know, turn Zooks's into delivery vehicles, or is Amazon going to get into the robo taxi business? And I think that's an interesting know. question. Amazon started out as a bookseller, so right. And I think that's the other thing too with Zooks is yes, they were working on a robo taxi concept, right? 
they never got there. They have all the underlying bits and pieces that, again, to your point, uh, Ed, could be used for a logistics solution, a um, you know, a packet. Like there's there's a, a ton of different applications here. And again, the fact that they never actually brought a robo taxi to market that we really saw is an indication to me that there's a lot of other underlying technology there that Amazon wants to use, right? That that is certainly possible. And just a clarification, I mean, Zooks. So Jesse Levinson, when when we did an episode with him in January, February um, mm-hmm. time frame, I think it was February. Uh, uh, he said that that their vehicle has passed uh, crash tests. So they have, it, it's not, they're not just developing component, right? Like they have done clearly a certain amount of, of integration to get to that mm-hmm. point. Um, so, so that product is actually relatively far along. Now it doesn't mean that it can't also be used for like it, that it can't then be converted to delivery or whatever, but, but that product is, is, and they were supposed to show it this year too. So. Right. Well, do we think we're ever going to see that product? I guess is maybe the better question right now. Do we think we're ever actually going to see that product debut? I do. Kirsten? Kirsten? I, I, I mean, the, the cruise origin was configurable. So I have to assume that a bread, you know, a toaster can be configured for delivery. I mean, what I, I mean, I would assume. Um, well, so this is where I kind of wonder because Amazon also has invested heavily into Rivian and has a contract to produce 100,000 electric delivery vans. Now, these are larger vans. They're like, you know, sprinter size, right? Um, By, I think it's what, 2025 or something like that. The first delivery is happening this coming year. So how does Zooks fit into that? Well, if Rivian made vehicles are going to be doing delivery. That's the near-term stuff, right? That's happening now. Zooks, I think, could be the medium to long-term play in package delivery, certain kinds of package delivery in densely urban environments in which there needs to be a zero-emission vehicle, but also maybe something smaller than a delivery van. Um, and potentially maybe getting into ride hailing. But I think that it's not going to be exactly what, what we think the traditional, like what we know of as ride hailing. It's going to be some sort of weird configuration. I don't know what, but the operational side is just one piece of what has to happen. There's a manufacturing piece and then there's also the technical piece. So it's not like this is going to happen in the next year or two. I have a question for all of you. Why does Amazon, which has money into Aurora, buy Zooks? Maybe because it can, and it's not three point two billion dollars. They can snap it for one billion, and yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know. Is Aurora for sale? I kind of, I kind of doubt it. I mean, I, you know, I guess there's that. Everything is for sale for the right price, but, but I think you put your finger on it. I mean, a billion dollars is nothing to an Amazon, um, right? And, and Frankly, like, you know, we, we just said its last valuation was over $3 billion. Um, So they're getting a, a steal of a deal. Like, this is the time when companies who are well-positioned um, can snap up good deals. And that's what happened, right? And um, I don't know what Aurora's valuation is, but they're not in a necessarily the same position. Let's say they did want to get acquired. 
Zooks has been working on a funding round or, I mean, they did convertible debt, what, of 200 million or something. Um, my sources have been telling me that they had been cutting back, that they had been negotiating with contractors on, you know, price negotiations on, uh, with companies that were providing them with other, you know, you know, products and supplies. Um, they did some furloughing. So they were in a very different position. Um, Time was not on their side and their ambitions were, are among the highest among all of the, absolutely. You know, they want to be the operator, the manufacturer, they're creating a brand new vehicle. I mean, that is, that requires an immense amount of money. So they have a lot of tech. They have a lot of really talented people, but they time would, they did not have on their side. And I'm sure Amazon recognized that opportunity. Yeah. And they came out of a period of exuberance for that for that kind of big thinking, you know, swing for the fences kind of ideas, right? And and now that they're owned by Amazon, they have the resources to to do stuff that, you know, before just seemed way too ambitious, right? This is going to be the, the hard part, though. Getting acquired by a huge company is not an easy thing. And even, you know, I think that you could talk to people at Cruise, for example, um, and and they could give you their two cents on that. Not saying that it won't work out, but there you can pretty much kiss any like development momentum. Like just you're gonna put that on pause for a bit. Yeah. It's very difficult. Everyone I've ever talked to that's been acquired by a company like Uber or anything like that, and they, you know, years later have talked to me and I've had some of these recent conversations actually with some of the folks at Jump. Um, which no longer exists. It is not an easy thing. And timelines get suddenly expanded because there's a lot of integration work that has to happen. And then just the cultures and how those are going to mix. And that's where I think we'll see how long um, Zook's CEO stays. But I think that she is going to be critical in that. And I know that that she, at least from what I've heard, um, they view there's a lot of the point of view is that she's a good leader. If she and Jesse stay, that should provide some fluidity, but that'll be important. Like the next six months to a year is going to be critically important to whether this is like a lame duck type of thing, or if it actually can move past integration period and start actually developing and working on stuff again. Speaking of integration, guys, I have to leave in about 90 seconds. Okay. The the fundamental question you're getting at Kirsten is really is 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 Amazon going to try and incorporate Zooks into Amazon or is it going to really allow it to exist as sort of a a, a subsidiary yeah. where they allow to to operate fairly independently and Which really was kind of what it. was announced uh when they when they made the announcement about the acquisition is they would have a certain amount of autonomy and independence. Okay. Right. And, and, and we'll, it'll be see, we'll, we'll see if that actually happens. But yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's where it comes down. Like, I know what they announced. They announced it was going to be independent. Will that happen? And even though that they remain independent, let's say that is the intention, there's still an integration period. It's There's still going to be some growing pains, and we should expect that. It's totally normal when a giant company acquires uh, you know, a thousand-person company. You know, Kirsten, for such an amazing journalist, you'd be an amazing comms person for such a company. You are so calming. <laughs> <laughs> my my friends, I gotta go. Okay. Um, have a great day. I will miss you all. Yeah. Bye, Alex. 
by the way, did we hear anything? Did you hear any um, Zooks employees taking up uh, Kyle Vogt's offer and jumping over to Cruz before the acquisition happened? I'm sure there were some people who went over, um, but that's, so? that's the game. That's the game. Oh, no, of course. I was just kind of curious if you'd seen any particular, uh, any people in particular that have done that. I have I to say that, that I had someone recently say, yeah, I really feel, real, really feel badly for those engineers that, you know, and, and I was like, let's be clear about something. We know that it's basically like a major, it's like a, it's been described to me as like a knife fight of over talent. And right. I think people can pretty much write their own ticket if they have the right skill set. So while the transition from one company might be hard, I don't think that they're hurting in terms of salary right now. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I think <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. Yeah. The engineers in this I, space are, are doing pretty okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean I so I I personally am am of the belief that that Amazon is going to um get into the ride handling business to some extent. Um, I think, you know, I think one of the things that people don't really realize about Zooks is, I mean, they hired Mark Rosekin, former NHTSA administrator, to be their chief safety innovation officer, which sounds like his job is to go talk at, at conferences, which he does do. But, but you know, they also, what it, what it, one of the things it reflects is that they have, and I can't remember how many patents they have specifically around safety, but they're doing a lot around occupant safety, uh, which is not really an issue in, in, uh, you know, outside the that ride hailing application. Um, now maybe they just walk away from that technology and move their license to someone else, who knows? But they've invested a lot in the the passenger part of all of this. Yeah. And I think to me, the part that makes sense is is Amazon has a big media play. And and this gets to a rumor I heard. I tweeted about this and it, it's kind of seems weird and random, but like I'd heard this rumor that Amazon was partnering with someone. I'd heard it was Tesla, which I instantly discounted yeah um but that they were going to have some some people mover vehicle and and the the critical point of it the point that stuck and gave it some some credence to me was that that the the point of this concept vehicle was to sort of show um you know the prime entertainment ecosystems applications in in autonomous mobility um and so i think if there's a if if amazon gets into that that space, that's going to be a heavy component of it, which by the way, also like potentially changes some of the, the tough economics of, of robo taxi. Like what if this is a prime perk? Right. That's why I was not as articulate um, as I normally am. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm not suggesting that they won't do some sort of ride hailing. I just don't think it's going to be like we think of quote unquote traditional ride hailing, even though ride hailing hasn't existed for that long, but the traditional business model of ride hailing, I think it's just going to be an iteration or something different. I mean, look at what I think we can look at how the integration with whole foods has worked. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened overnight, but slowly, slowly you've seen more and more of coming together. You know, first there's the prime deals. Then if you want to make a return to Amazon, you can just go to a Whole Foods where there is a locker system. Right. Who's to say that you couldn't then also have ride hailing perks if you're a Prime member to certain Amazon properties like Whole Foods, or you know, like there's, or maybe on-demand delivery, or you know, there's, there is 
a mix there that could, I could see it working out. I'm just not sure if it's going to be like the experience is right now with Uber and Lyft. Right. Yeah. And DoorDash and Postmates and all that. Yeah. And those are businesses that, that like ran, run on scale and that scaled really, really fast. And we're able to do that because they didn't own the fleet. It mm-hmm. was really just all that to do was incentivize people to, to become drivers. I say all, I mean, that was, it was hard, okay, but, but there are no drivers yeah. needed. Yeah. So, uh, so then it's, then, then you talk about huge capital investments in fleets. And so I don't think AV, that's one of many reasons that we know that AVs just aren't going to scale the way ride hailing did. Right. So, so that, that right there, we, we already know. Um, by the way, one other piece of this that, that I guess I wasn't really completely aware of is, is, this, um, which I think it's a $10 billion fund that Amazon is, is using to invest in or acquire. Um, it's focused on on the climate pledge. Right, right. Um, but Brilliant it is fund. going to, yeah, to, to companies in, in the mobility space, um, among others. Two billion. Oh, it's only two billion? Is the two billion Amazons and then there's outside investors too? Maybe, I can't remember. But the point is, is that $2 billion climate pledge. But if you were to look at it's sustainable, sustainable technologies, but much of that, if you, I mean, Amazon's a logistics company, it's e-commerce, but it's logistics. Yeah. You can see a lot of that going into there. And I, I started looking at all the acquisitions they've made and some of them are more public than others, but you know, they, let's see, they did an aqua hire essentially of the dispatch team, right? That was autonomous to help build scout, the little delivery guy, the little robot. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got other automated um, sort of in factory warehouse acquisitions. So Kiva Systems, I think, was one. Um, and then they have these other interesting sort of investments. And you can start to see greater emphasis on automation, greater emphasis on electrification. And then where does it go from here? Like, what's the next? layer and how does that all fit together does Zeus just stay on its own is going to be i think the biggest question but no i I think i think you really hit the nail on the head which is just like it's a fundamental exercise to go through all the different ways that amazon could use this technology both in the pseudo near term and the next 15 or 20 years right yeah yeah and and what i was discussing i was discussing on twitter with um uh, actually a friend of the show at carisophobia shout out um we were talking about I was sort of comparing it to to SoftBank, and I think there you know there's a really interesting contrast there. Whereas mm. SoftBank sort of had a thesis about AI and sort of um, I don't know a, a sense of the, I mean I think they had a, a sense of their thesis and and what they were trying to accomplish, but it was all it was sort of a speculative bet that this broad category of AI empowered businesses was going to do really, really well. Um, and, uh, and they, and they spread a really, you know, they spread their bets around to a lot of things. And I mean, like, like was the dog walking app really something that was fundamentally transformed by AI? I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but, but the point is, is that what makes Amazon so interesting is that they have this giant machine, this logistical machine that can be improved in lots of different ways through technology. And so for, for them, M&A is a very, it's pragmatic. It, it, everything either has a use now or they see some need coming down the line that they're going to need. And so it's, so it's pragmatic. And so I think it's just interesting to see this play out because I think, you know, speculative stuff always runs the risk of you don't know exactly if it, if it's going to work out for you. Whereas if you have this thing, I mean, again, there's always risk with any kind of 
M&A or investment or whatever, but at least Amazon can always sort of check it against, is this something that our machine actually needs or could benefit from? Uh, and I think that helps keep, keep them focused, uh, at least in, in theory. Yeah. And they've got and they've got the money to do it. And they've got the money to do it. Right. So here's the one, you know, parting shot uh, before we wrap up. Uh, Amazon really, it's easy to go down the speculative lane in terms of like, what is Amazon going to do? Because Amazon doesn't communicate and talk really much about its plans. They're very good at, at sort of keeping things a little bit close um, and internal. And so, you know, we can on our end based on our knowledge of the industry, you know, make some pretty good educated guesses. Um, I do not put Amazon anywhere close to, you know, comparing them to SoftBank. They're just completely, to me, a different animal, 100%. And I think that they are... The, the, the ethos of the company is actually, when you look at like some of the big bets that were made, is that... They're not that risk averse, but they do, and but they definitely play the long game, and they understand. But they understand the the necessary um, steps they need to take in the short term to generate revenue and profits. And so that's what's led to you know Amazon being as big of a company as it is, and and really in so many different spaces. Like, who would have thought that they would own a grocery store chain? You know. Yeah. Well, and and in some ways, I mean, I think that's what we're seeing happening in the AV space is that, you know, as this, there's sort of a growing understanding that this is going to a take a while, but but then also scaling is going to be take a time, and and that all of this is going to take huge, huge amounts of money. I mean, that's basically we and we've talked about this with with the auto OEMs, but like basically, you need to have an anchor business that generates a lot a lot of cash. Um, in order to have the kind of timeline that you need for this technology to 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 have a reasonable shot, and so in some ways, it's surprising that Amazon was so late getting into this space. But then again, they really benefited. I mean, imagine if they tried to buy in to Zooks in, in twenty sixteen, or um, maybe not. But you know what I mean. Like a couple of years ago, they would have paid many, many times more. Um, yeah. But again, the downturn is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Waymo, Volvo, we'll see how that plays out. Amazooks, that's going to play out, I think. Um, I, I'm curious to see if they do if they do unveil that vehicle as they were supposed to. Yeah. I mean, the window the window's closing now. Um, obviously, COVID delayed a lot of plans. And then this is still going to delay a lot of plans. But maybe they'll show something. I don't know. Um, and maybe that's... If anything... I think it's important to show the vehicle for employee retention. This is something that people have worked on for a really long time. And that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Fade away, I think would be really disappointing for a lot of folks. Um, and so, and it could help them not just retain, but hopefully maybe attract more people um, again. Damon, so, why do you say the window is closing? I, I know for the uh, for the year, we're we're already at the second half of the year right now. Oh, oh, oh and yeah. Ba- ba- based on everything that's going on yeah. in the world with COVID and everything else, like it, the 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 window to actually make that debut and make it something special, I think is closing before this year. I, who knows next year? But um, yeah. Um, also, I just want to flag. Apparently, Lucid is now pretty much completely owned by the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was first reported by Wired Europe a while ago, but then The Verge had a lawsuit, um, or they, they didn't right. have a lawsuit, they reported on a lawsuit that sort of like 
confirmed it from the company through an email. Um, and so, yeah, it's really interesting that they are owned majority by the uh, Saudi um, sovereign fund. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, that's, um, I, I, I really wonder how employees are dealing with that kind of thing now. Like I know it's been rough for a lot of soft bank uh, back companies, but you know, we're, I've, I've heard more and more rumblings of people being disappointed with that kind of money coming in. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there've also been some other things that we should probably discuss down the road. Again, we kind of have to wrap up now, but, um, consumer reports has a, has a big report on, uh, why federal policy should pr- uh, prioritize adoption of existing technologies to save lives. So we're talking about how, how ADAS can save lives and, and, and there's some advocacy around that. That's an interesting report. Uh, consumer tech association has a, a, a study, um, that suggests that, um, there's at least some, I think it's about 25%. Um, see certain autonomous delivery options as being more, or they feel more favorably towards them post or, or since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that's, there's been speculation about in the space, but hasn't really. And then, and then UNECE um, put out some rules on um, uh, uh, ADAS uh, lane keeping assistant uh, systems and stuff. And, and there's speculation that it will, force further nerfing of autopilot in Europe where, where those rules apply. I think that's really interesting. I think all these things I just mentioned though, are things that uh, I at least certainly have some more reading to do before we discuss, but. Yeah. Well, we I'm a, not even going to bring up JD power right now and, and trigger you. So oh, and that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. On, top of, on top of it all um, to, to cap off the show. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Tesla now, you know, makes less than 500,000 vehicles a year, but is the most valuable automaker in the world based on market cap. So surpassing Toyota, which makes 10 million vehicles a year about. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, and to end on a, uh, to end on a bombshell, (laughs) I'd like to say congratulations and a genuine heartfelt congratulations to Tesla. Um, this is very clearly exactly the one goal that this company really cares about, and they've achieved it. And and my hat's off to them. I, I don't agree with everything that it took to get to get them, but it certainly shows that they are more focused than uh, some give them credit for. Um, they they set their mind on this goal and they achieved it, and um, good for them. And on that bombshell. Yeah. Wow. We better we better wrap this up. Yeah. Thanks so much for pull the record now. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time on another episode of the Atonicus. I take money from everybody that's bad. It's the only thing that could possibly explain on my bad. <laughs> just hit stop and start recording again. <laughs>